You're listening to the Cars of Carlisle Network, podcast episode number 110, featuring John Clore, Ford Performances Enthusiast Communications Manager. Cars of Carlisle is your favorite internationally downloaded podcast about all things automotive. Darren and his CFC team are ever searching for interesting automotive happenings, real stories about real car people, and fun features to inform and entertain you. Each week, the Cars of Carlisle crew brings you show topics ranging from car shows to team adventures to auto racing weekends to behind-the-scenes human interest stories from car nuts that live across town, across the country, or even across the globe. Come join the road trip. Today, meet John Clore, a key employee at Ford Motor Company. As the enthusiast communications manager, Mr. Clore works tirelessly to stay at the center of the Ford Performance Club Connect scene, striving constantly to understand Ford's customers' passions, ambitions, and interests. In addition to his years with Ford, John has been an automotive journalist who once test drove and wrote for Auto Week. For over four decades, he has wrenched on, owned, raced, and written about blue oval products of all types. It's time to head to Detroit and talk Ford performance with John Clore. So, let's get wrapped up. Hello and welcome back, Cubers, to your favorite informative automotive podcast. I am your trusted host, Darren. This is episode 110, and in it, we're going to hang out with John Clore, a Mustang expert and a true diplomat for Ford performance enthusiasts. John hasn't missed a year of the Carlisle Ford National Show, and with everything going on in the world from the pandemic, we're really hopeful that everything is going to get back on track in Carlisle, but I'm really hoping to meet him in person this summer. And then speaking of the 2020 Carlisle Car Show season, I want to again say and express my gratitude to our friends at Carlisle Events. Hold on, I have Mike Garland, who is the public relations manager for Carlisle Events. Have him on the phone. Mike, I know that you do your best to uh, listen to the, the show every week when you can. Uh, tell us what's going on over at the fairgrounds. Hey, Darren. It's been really cool catching up with all the latest Cars of Carlisle podcast episodes, and I probably don't pop on as much as I should, but since we are looking at the start of Spring Carlisle, finally, starting next Wednesday the 17th, I thought I'd chime in. So look, man, right now what we've got going on is a scheduled four-day automotive flea market. Spring Carlisle is slated to run June 17th through the 20th. For anyone coming to the grounds, certainly know that we are going to be CDC compliant following whatever measures and guidelines are in place at the time of the event. Unfortunately, as we try to be as CDC compliant as possible, we did have to postpone the in-person experience for the spring auction, postponing it, that is, until 2021. We wanted to be able to provide a great auction and give people that same great in-person experience, but there's really no way around what we're facing right now when you think about trying to put people indoors at the Carlisle Expo Center and the cars and all of that. So the spring auction itself, at least the in-person option, has been postponed until April of 2021. We are working with our digital partner, Awesome Joe Auctions. We're attempting to put together a digital auction option for spring enthusiasts. And of course, we've rescheduled a couple of other shows on our schedule at this time, the Carlisle Import and Performance Nationals and the Carlisle Ford Nationals. 
But as of now, as I press send on this recording, as you play it back, man, the spring show is slated to run June 17th through the 20th. And my feeling is once we have one show, there's no reason why the others wouldn't fall in line thereafter. Get all the info on the season schedule at carlisleevents.com. You can purchase spectator tickets at a 25% discount if you purchase in advance. Of course, you have savings for the show field and fun fields as well for our events. And you can learn about our COVID-19 measures as we work to be compliant here in 2020 to give all of our guests the same great car show entertainment they've come to know and love. CarlisleEvents.com for the show side of things. CarlisleAuctions.com on the auction side. And we can't wait to see you at Spring Carlisle starting June 17th. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Can't wait to see you guys. And uh, you mentioned June 17th. That is actually my birthday. So how can I forget that date? All right, guys, let's move on with the show. Likewise, want to acknowledge the entire team at Porsche Mechanicsburg. Just in the last week, I have been by their new still under construction facility on the Carlisle Pike. And I got to tell you, the building is coming along and will be an incredible one uh, as far as a dealership once it's fully completed. Now, over the last several weeks, you've heard me say and talk a lot about the Courage Virtual Car Show. Uh, and through it, I'd love it if you would join us to help those that are less fortunate. What's crucial is that every single dollar that we raise in this through the registration fees, the donations, uh, all of it, 100%, will go to the charity Feeding America. So to get rolling, simply go to carsacarallowed.com, click on the Virtual Car Show tab, or even the uh, license plate in the upper left corner of the splash page. Then click on the ignition switch. That will take you to the virtual show field. And with that, you have the interactive uh, map, and it'll take you right through it. It's relatively intuitive. Uh, the event is this Saturday, June 13th at 9 a.m. Registration will be closing here in a matter of hours. So it closes uh, Wednesday night, so don't wait. Really want you to be able to join us, and by all means, help those that are truly struggling, uh, probably more than, than others. And... Uh, we know this is a great cause and looking for your help. Regarding our guest, John Clore, I want uh, to mention too, check out his published book. It goes back to uh, 2007. Uh, it was called The Mustang Dynasty. And in that, John delves deeply into the pony car and everything that it's been as far as the American icon since its mid-year 1964 debut. So, trivia time. True or false? The Ford Mustang name was coined based on a wild horse. So we'll have the answer at the end of the show. Thanks for sticking around and catching that. Let's head to Motor City and speak with Ford expert and new friend, John Clore. Success will come when it's ready and it's in the right way. And for me, I'm, I look in the mirror when I shave and I'm okay with that. <laughs> well, we must be brothers from another mother. I, uh... <laughs> When I passed my 100th episode of my cable access TV show, mm -hmm. somebody came to me and said, you don't have any sponsors. You've been doing this for 100 episodes. All you do is, you know, there's tons of work. You produce your, all your own content. Why do you do this? There's no money in it. And, and you have a, an insane job at Ford. Right. So what's, what's kind of, I would like you, you either have a passion for this hobby and doing and speaking the voice of this, this the enthusiast voice, or you don't. And if you don't, you, you don't understand why we spend so much time and effort where there's, you know, no, there was no money. In fact, Darren, I had to tell you, I finally got booted off my local cable access show because I was too controversial. So wow. now when I went on, uh, when I go on my website, it says, Cars in Context, uh, the show, when I went to YouTube, the Cars in Context TV is the show too hot for cable access. 
<laughs> so I, I, I get you. I totally understand you uh, on how that works because people, you said all that time for nothing. I said, it's not for nothing. It's no. not for nothing. It's just the way we feel. So, yeah, that's that's fantastic. Uh, thank God there's more people out there doing what you do because there are too many of it who are trying to plug in and seeing what they could rake off the top, make mm. a buck, and that's... And that to me is just, I'm not interested in uh, in being part of that, you know, because especially with Carlisle, you know, Carlisle's real near, near and dear to my head. I have a couple of unique stories. Yes. Uh, I've been at every single Carlisle Ford Nationals there has been. Never wow. missed one. Wow. And uh, I, you know, I was at the first one uh, and, uh, and missed um, both of my son's high school graduations because of Carlisle. Oh, my. And so, yeah, so, I mean, Carlisle, it means a lot to me because of the way it, it uh, serves the brand and mm. enthusiasts of the brand. And I, I tell you, it's, it's a party like no other. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's why I was very interested when Mike called and said, hey, you want to do this? I said, sure. No, I really I appreciate you uh, giving of your time and, and doing just that. I, for me, I think that um, uh, what I really like about uh, the way Ford does it is just the I, – and I, I, I – Again, I, I try to be very open to all makes and marks, uh, American and otherwise, and, and what have you. But for me, how can you not be inspired? I, I bought it, the, the Blu-ray, the day it came out, but Ford versus Ferrari, and I don't mean to make passe of it, but I think it's just a, an incredible story, even if you know, it's, it's not so into cars, was just really riveted to the whole story, the fact that uh, you know, it came to be of we're gonna we're gonna do this, and this is we're we're going to war, and this is how we're gonna do it. And I think that says a lot about uh, the brand and just the way of, of going and going after something. Yeah, you can't you can't make up a lot of that stuff. You can't write it any other way. And that that's and for me, you know, like I didn't come to Ford as a typical marketing guy. I, I spent 15 years at the Detroit News as an editor, and then got sick of working long weekends and being, if I finally wound up being a smart ass and going to the sports department uh, where I won some awards in there, uh, but uh, I wanted to write about cars, and our, our car editor would not, re- he wouldn't retire, I think he was 106 when I left, so I, uh, I wound up going to Auto Week magazine, so I spent a decade there as a deputy managing editor, so I wow. you know, drove Ferraris and I drove all makes and models, so you... You know, you you have an a, you know a, an auto passion, and coming to Ford, I had a wi- much wider, broader view of the enthusiast world um, because of the way the way it came in there. So yeah, we can talk about that. My only uh, the only thing I wanted to mention was what I would have what will be mentioning when I do speak at Carlisle for my seminar, which is another unique program which is called Club Connect and. Ford uh, has done a lot of effort into the mm-hmm. Ford Performance Club Connect program, and it's kind of cool that we have it, so I wouldn't mind explaining what the hell Club Connect is, and why in the hell do we do that, especially this day and age where they say, you know, young people could care less about cars, and they'd rather get them out of a vending machine mm-hmm. and go to a dealer. So, okay. so yeah, so yeah, I'm, I'm into that. That's the only thing I'd, I really want to mention, but the rest of that, we'd say we'll steer it, drive it the way we, we okay. go in our conversations, I'm good with it. You know, as far as uh, you know, our conversation tonight—it's for me—it's cool that Carlisle even has a podcast. You're doing it from that area. I—I I, I have, like I said, I have a unique relationship with the uh, Carlisle events, and go back to the beginning of the Ford uh, Nationals there. And um, so, I, yeah, I'd like to trace that whole experience because uh, a lot of people don't. You know, there's so many people now, especially in marketing, Darren, who 
um, you know, have a task and a, a checklist way of approaching the world. You know, you, you're, it's all about deliverables. Yep. And, you know, the hobby is, you know, you got to do this, do that, and check it all off and you listen until all the deliverables are gone. But it's really not about the cars. Uh, if you're in the business long enough, you find out that it's, you know, the cars will come and go. The brands may even come and go, but it's the people you know, that drive the hobby. And, and even in the Mustang world, which is probably one of the most passionate of any of the brands out there and longstanding, it's continuous uh, manufacture over all these years really shows the, the depth of the following of the hobby. But it really, it doesn't really matter that because of the people that are brought into the hobby and the people who leave the hobby, the, the friends they make along the way are why they're in the hobby. So Carlisle understands that and it becomes not just a celebration of cars, but a celebration of the people in the hobby. And they, that, that party is about, as much about the people of, of the hobby than it is the cars. So that's what I really like about it. Well, I, I, there's a couple things that you said in there that resonated with me uh, quite a bit. First and foremost, just so that we kind of, uh, so you were my very first car. Uh, I, my grandparents helped me buy it at the age of 15 so I could spend a year restoring it before my license came, and that was a 68 Seafoam Green Mustang Coupe with an inline-six 200 cubic inch. So uh, my very first car was a 68 Stang, and uh, I, I get it. And, and to your point about the people, I'm so glad you say that because that resonates with me too, 100%, John, because even in my marketing tagline below my logo and on everything that I send out, it's car community, car culture. And I, I emphasize, I intentionally put the community first because to me, uh, and, and you're, you're going to know this better than anybody, especially having been to every Ford Nationals and all that you do, and that is you can have someone who might be making $11 an hour under the hood of a new, uh, new 2020 Mustang talking about everything, you know, induction or whatever it might be, standing next to someone who has a net worth of $1.7 billion. And at that point, you have two individuals regardless of their background or anything like that, that have a commonality and they can talk shop and really enjoy trading stories and ideas and what have you, and all barriers are dropped at that moment. That is uh, so true, and at least in my experience, um, and I've, I'm approaching 25 years now Ford Motor Company. It seems like it started just a few weeks ago, but I, I can tell you that that experience of seeing that in in play every to events that I go to and to people that I meet and shows that I attend it's that's so true which is really why the hobby's so rewarding because I you know hey look I I, yeah, I grew up in Detroit and you know we have, in Detroit it's cars girls and hockey right so <laughs> uh, I mean I, I there's no that my brother was a Woodward street racer and my dad was a Detroit cop so how would you like to live a how would you like to yeah right how would you like to grow up my older brother got in so much damn trouble I mean how would you like to grow up with that dynamic uh, so I uh, and I I just revered him he 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 might have been a little crazy but you know driving a 55 shoebox Chevy that he put a Corvette engine in himself in our garage wow. he turned our backyard from a beautiful place with a swimming pool for all the kids in our family to a grease pit and uh, but that's okay because um, my dad being the cop didn't want me to follow in that Woodward street racer you know 
lifestyle. And but but by that time, you know, I realized I you know I would have played for the Detroit Red Wings because I like talking that much, except for the one thing that they called talent. <laughs> and then, uh, well, I'm a I'm so a I, fan I, too. So I, so I stuck with cars, and I got a great girl. You know, I met the girl I met was the I met her in in 1974 when Mustang won its first Car of the Year award, and I married her when they came out with the Cobra too. So nice. I, I mean, it was all good stuff. But the bottom line for me was. Uh, it, that whole group, though, the kids he hung around with, his buddy in high school had a 1932 five window Ford. Uh, it wasn't John Milner of American Graffiti, but his Ford had a 392 Hemi in it oh. with, with dual, with dual quads. <laughs> and when he came over to pick my sister up for a date, he pulled in the driveway and all the windows in her house was were rattling because he had like open pipes on the damn thing. And, and I could hear him pull up and I go out there and I just to see the car. And he, when he got out and shut it off, a fire broke out in the back four carburetor. And he, I said, Hey Pete, you're, your car's on fire and he goes, oh yeah he takes his jacket off and beat on the, the four barrel until it went out I mean I, I was like, this, this is, you can't make this stuff up Darren <laughs> so that's how you get cars in your blood when you grow up in Detroit and you know I mean I my brother he he also went to he passed away just a few years ago but really loved Carlisle as well and he never got cars out of his system although he didn't work in the industry and for me mm-hmm. you know I wanted to be a weatherman because when I went to Wayne State, I thought, you know, these guys make six figures a year and are wrong all the time. Uh-huh. Who, who, who can do that? Uh-huh. You know, and when you say, hey, you said it was going to rain tomorrow, and they said, you know, it was sunny, all they can say is, well, the wind shifted, and they're okay. Yeah. So I wanted to do that, and, I, you know, somehow I got tricked into wind up going to J school and doing writing and editing and then wound uh-huh. up at the Detroit News. <laughs> I thought I was just going to, you know, work there until I got my degree, but I wound up working there, you know, almost 15 years. And as I said, I thought, well, maybe I can be the auto editor. And a guy named Bob Irvin was the auto editor at the news. And I just kept waiting for him to retire. And I just gave up after 15 years. I, like I said, I don't, make, I don't make a joke. He wasn't 106 when he retired, but it felt like he was never going to retire. So that's when <laughs> I got an offer to go work at Auto Week magazine. Now, Darren, can you imagine no. working at, I mean, as a kid from Detroit with your brother, a street racer, knowing cars and loving cars like you did, working at Auto Week, the only weekly buff book in the industry? Can you imagine how that felt? Uh, I can only imagine because truly, now I know that this, uh, well, anybody that knows me knows this to be true, but if you had to do one of those icebreaker uh, cocktail party questions of if you could be anything in the world, what would it be? And it would be uh, a feature editor and a writer for a car magazine. It's always been that way. Whether yeah. Motor trend, yeah. <laughs> car and driver, road and track, yeah, auto week, doesn't matter. I mean, just like you said and like you've done, been able to get in behind the wheel of all these amazing vehicles and then just push them to their limits and then write about it. Yeah, that to me was, uh, you know, so I, I mean, I, I did, I liked the newspaper business. I learned a lot, uh, mostly as an editor, not as a writer. And I, when I, I, you know, was known a little bit of a, you know, loose wheel and wound up in the toy department, which is the sports department. Hmm. Uh, but by 84, the Tigers had won the World Series and I was working long, long, long hours. Met my wife there at the paper. She was in computer ops and I was an editor. And I, I just said, you know what? There's got to be a better life than working, you know, having Tuesdays and Thursdays off. Uh, you know, I, and when my buddy jumped ship and went to Auto Week, now Auto Week wasn't for, you know, yeah, I got all the, I got all the buff books. I had Car Driver, I had Motor Trend, I, you know, all those books I got. And the problem was, you know, 
Auto Week was for people that wanted it every week, not even every month. Right, right. I mean, that's craziness. So I said, well, you know, they, and it, what happened was at the time, Auto Week was put together by a bunch of car guys who weren't really, you know, journalists. They, they were just car people, and they had a hard time meeting deadlines and writing and editing. Uh, their, their writing was prose, but their editing skills left something to be the imagination. So the, the publisher wanted to get some, um, instead of having car guys who learn how to be an editor, he wanted to have some editors who happened to be car guys. So we had a bunch of new people there. My buddy, uh, Jim Sawyer, became the managing editor. He dragged me in there kicking and screaming. But I loved it. I mean, I, can you imagine, Darren, one night you drive home a Ferrari, the next night it's a Corvette, the next no. night it's a Celine Mustang. No. I mean, the next night it's a... Uh, it's a Mercedes-Benz, the next night it's a BMW. And if you stayed real late and you didn't uh, get to the keyboard fast enough, you had to drive the Sierra 1500 pickup home. I mean, just, you know, <laughs> so, or, or the Kia right, or, right, right, or right. Sonata. Right, right. Yeah, so, so, I mean, those were the, but to me, how would I ever quit a job where car companies would fly you first class across the world where you drove Volvo convertibles on the uh, shoreline of Ireland. I mean, I, I, wow. I, I don't know what got into me to quit to go to an OEM, but I think what it was was that since my early days, you know, I one of the first cars I ever fell in love with was the Mustang, and you know, I told my dad I was not going to turn into a Woodward Street racer, but I really wanted a Mustang. When I saw the 69 Mach 1, I think I just about overloaded every sense that I had. <laughs> and I was, uh, I just wanted it. And I saved, you know, almost $2,000 in cash. Saved $2,000 in cash in 1969 for wow. a kid when, you know, when, what was the minimum wage? A buck an hour, a buck 15. was a huge accomplishment. That's I was amazing. doing well at Wayne State. My grades were good, so I was showing my dad I wasn't going to go down that, that path, but uh, so I had like two grand, and I told my dad I wanted to show him a car that I wanted, because I was, you know, I really wanted a good car for college, and he went to the dealership with me, and when I showed him that Mach 1, red, shaker, black stripes, mm-hmm. you know, 428, four-speed, <laughs> and just sitting there in the showroom, was left over from 69, in 1970, I thought, boy, he, he's going to understand that I'm not going to be like my brother. And he said, I'll never forget this day, he said, you want that? <laughs> I, go, I go, well, well, yes. He goes, why would you want that? And he gave me the cop face. Oh, no. And I don't know if you've ever gotten the cop face, like, why would you want that? <laughs> so when they ask you that cop question, it's like impossible. I mean, they, they're like, they see right through you. You know uh, what I mean? They, right. So, so I said, so I tried my best lying. I, I said, what, what do you mean, why do I want that? Why, uh, well, <clears throat> let's see, I want it because, well, uh, because it's red and, uh, and it's got a four speed. <laughs> so, oh, okay. So he says, how much money do you have? And I said, like 2000 in cash. I had it rolled up in a Detroit roll and with a rubber band around it. Uh-huh. I said, Dad, all I need you, all I need you to do is co-sign. That's it. Just go sign. I will make. I'm good for the payments. I paid my own tuition at college. Uh, that's all I need. So he took my two thousand dollars and walked in to the salesman room. And I thought, oh my gosh, is he? I, I do it. Have I convinced him? Because the cop face thing, I thought he kind of right. smelled a rat. You know what sure. I mean? So he walks out of there and he goes, well, let's go. And I go, well, are they going to pull it off? The, it's in the showroom. Because no, they got one outside. He goes, no, I want this one. And guess what? Pulled up there. A red 1971 Ford Pinto with a four-speed. 
<laughs> he said, well, you wanted to, and he already spent it. I mean, for uh, that $2,000, I think I bought it outright. So like wow. 80 out the door. So he took my 2000 I got a red four-speed Pinto, and that Mach 1 sold just recently, a few weeks after. And I never quite got over it. No. Uh, so... I mean, that's, that's, I want, Mustang was going to happen in my life sometime. And what did wind up happening is I met a Ford engineer who told me that the two liter four cylinder that was in my Pinto also was the same engine that's in the Formula 2000 open wheel race series. And that he had a race motor two, uh, two liter that had about 200 horsepower. Would like, would I like to swap it into my Pinto? Mm-hmm. So. It's really hard to explain to your dad after your car's a year old that you're swapping motors out and putting in a side draft to Lordo. And I became a terror up on Woodward on Telegraph Road in Detroit on Crash Avenue. Called it, they called it the Poison Pinto. Don't mess with this. It looks, this is before they were swapping V8s in them. I had 200 horsepower. I could almost pull the wheels off the ground. The wow. thing was, I blew up every transmission and every rear end you could possibly put in a Pinto. Blew, I think it blew nine transmissions out of it. Oh my but, and I finally even swapped a V8 into the Pinto, twisted that till I popped the windshield out of it. <laughs> then uh, my wife finally, my wife finally told me, "Why don't you buy a car that comes with a V8?" And that's of course when the Mustang Two Cobra Two came out, and I bought my first new Mustang in '76. So I I earned my stripes the hard way uh, because none of those stories people would believe except that I have photos and friends who wow. would validate that. So when you work that hard to get a V8 Mustang with a manual transmission into your life. <laughs> Um, I've I've sweat equity, so that's why at, you know when I was at Auto Week, I would go on all the four trips, any Mustang thing I could go to, mm-hmm. until that same boss Jim Sawyer had left Auto Week. I said, "Where are you going? What do you mean leaving here? Why would you leave this job?" And he said, "Well, I'm going to Ford." I said, "What for?" Because mm-hmm. they're going to they're, they're they're starting a new thing. It's called the Special Vehicle Team. And they're going to make high performance variants of Mustangs and F-150s, and it's and they don't have and they they were looking for mercenaries out of the buff book business. I go, why? Why they just have Ford do it? He said because they don't want internal people doing it. They want people outside of the company to bring real, you know, what a real enthusiast is without being shaded and gilded by what you do at Ford. And he yeah. wanted they wanted him. I said, well, that's congratulations. He said they don't have any advertising budget. I go, what? Mm-hmm. How are we going to sell these SVT vehicles? He yeah. said, they're going to do it through the buff books. They're going to have stories in the buff books, and they're going to put the pic- the pictures and the, and the stories about the cars haven't tested, and enthusiasts then will see them in the buff books, read about them, and buy them, and they them very low volumes. And that's when he jumped ship. I thought, well, he's crazy. But then when he started coming over, Darren, with things like, you know, Cosworth Turbo and an Escort ZX2 or a, wow. a Ranger with a show motor in it. A, you know, these guys were crazy. They, they were, you know, they, they put a V8 in a Windstar. I mean, oh, my gosh. My, yeah. Yeah, my so mom I started saying, Windstar. you know what? <laughs> I said, these guys are my kind of guys. When he told me yeah. he was doing PR and he wanted me to do communications, that's when I jumped ship. Sure. Went to Ford in 1995. My first launch, can you imagine my very first program was the launch of the 1995 SVT Mustang Cobra R oh, with a 351 wow. in it? I mean, yeah. And then, of course, that was when I went to Carlisle for the first time. They were going to have something called the Ford Nationals. And I brought that Cobra R mm. to the Nationals with just two cars, a 10 by 10. Ford wasn't even at the Ford Nationals when it first started at Carlisle. So, I mean, that's. That's how the genesis of me going to the Nationals and watching 
not only my own experience there grow and the people I've met, but also Ford's own footprint until what it is today. It's one of the bigger Carlisle shows. Oh, for sure. It really is. In fact, uh, I, I think that you had said uh, earlier, and I wanted to reiterate that point, that to your knowledge, Ford is the only OEM that actually has a full-time position doing what you do. Is that Correct. Well, yeah, no, no, don't. And they didn't originally. When I went to SVT, I did SVT's communications, and then they came out with something called the Internet. Mm. And uh, so I worked on the first SVT website, and I did their newsletter, which was an owner-based newsletter. It wasn't really just for enthusiasts, but people who loved SVT cars and signed up for the SVT News. I wrote and published, edited that newsletter. Well, that became eventually SVT Enthusiast Magazine. Okay. And so we used our skills doing AutoWeek to do to put together SVT Enthusiast as really our own um, collectible magazine for people who love the SVT Lightning pickup or the SVT Mustang Cobra or even eventually the SVT Contour Sports Sedan and, mm-hmm. and the Focus. We, we, we really um, focused in on just those vehicles. So for when SVT was disbanded in 05, I just I couldn't believe it. And I thought, well, that's the end of my career. But what they said was, well, you did the website, so and they didn't have SVT vehicles on the regular Ford website, so they sent me over to Ford Racing, and they said, you have to figure out a way how to get all the performance stuff onto the standard Ford website. And in that time, they also disbanded the SVT club that they had started, and I said, well, you're going to have to give them a refund for the SVT Enthusiast Magazine. Well, they said, we, we don't, we're not going to do that. Ford was like every OEM that era was hemorrhaging cash, and it's just before the Great Recession, they even mortgaged their own logo to save the company. So they said, well, we can't do that. What, can, what are we supposed to do? And I said, well, hey, listen, Ford Racing was doing amazing called Inside the Oval. Why don't I just put your SVT stuff in there, and then you can send it to the rest of those people who still have a subscription to the okay. magazine, and once it's over, it's over. So that's why I lasted another year. And then by taking SVT.Ford.com, had a huge following. We had like over 3 million followers. Mm. So by taking that database of people who follow that and all that content and putting it on the Ford Racing site, which is on their performance section, um, Ford kind of liked that. And then when Ford's own Inside the Oval magazine had to go away because of cost cut, I went to the head of Ford Racing and I said, listen, he was very upset because he said, enthusiasts are the number one customers for Ford performance parts. And he didn't want to lose, I mean, Darren, he really didn't want to lose that communications tool. So I said, hey, listen, boss, why don't we do this? Instead of saying, hey, you're losing your your 12 your 12 monthly magazines, why don't we tell them we'll give you 52 emails, and we'll do an email newsletter, and I'll do it. So that's how I stayed on at Ford Racing, by doing fast news from Ford Racing, which today is called fast news from Ford Performance. At one point, we had a half a million people getting that, which when you know who opted in for it. So when you, when you talk to that many people every week, um, it's a huge deal. And of course, the clubs are a big part of that, and I was able to, to help supplant that communications with face-to-face communication. Because you know what? I'm tired of companies that say they have a communications guy, and what they do is put a press release out, or they'll send somebody some information, and they say that they're communicating with the enthusiasts. Because communications, if you look it up, it's two-way. Mm-hmm. So you can you tell them something, but they better tell you something. So That's right. where is the listening part? You know. So I told my bosses, if you want to have fantastic content and you want to know where the great stories come from, they don't come from a desk at Dearborn. 
I got to get on the road and I got to go out and, and interact with the clubs and be their liaison, be their voice yes. within the company so that I can tell their story. So that's how the Enthusiast Communications Manager position was born at Ford Racing and now carries over to Ford Performance. So I've been doing this now, you know, since 05. And I, like you said, I don't know of another OEM that actually has Enthusiast Communications geared to be a liaison between that the company and their enthusiast owners because I don't know if another company has that. I mean, I know this, Darren. Ford has an enthusiast club for almost every single car it's ever made. Not just Model T's, Model A's, and Thunderbirds, but you know, the Ford Pinto Club has over five thousand members. Oh my heavens! I mean, I mean, every Ford has a club, and so those people turn out to be not just important for Ford because they bought a Ford. But these are the people at the water cooler, Darren, who, when people say, you know, you're, you're in that club, you, you polish your car, you know, you go on trips, you go to the Ford Nationals, you want all of our cars, what kind of car should my kid buy? Mm-hmm, right. If we, if we embrace them, and they're at the water cooler, they're influencers. You know, we, we, we hear a lot these days about online influencers. They're the, they're the in-your-reality influencers. So I felt that it was very important. These people own five, six, and seven. They might own a 65 Mustang, but they're towing it with a F-150 and their kids driving a Escape, you know? So I, I thought they were super important. Mm-hmm. So I, my goal was to be their voice, interact with them, make them feel good about... Uh, Ford enthusiast ownership so that when they are at the water cooler and they say, you know, hey, uh, my daughter wants to buy a Kia, mm-hmm. that they would do the right thing being a Blue Oval fan. They would say, you know, I don't want to see any Kia. There's no fun day in on day. You don't get a lease on a Nissan. Do I like Toyota? Not one Iota. You know, you buy a Ford. And you, <laughs> if you go and I want them to say, you know, that. so that's the goal of enthusiast communications, to interact face-to-face, to be their voice within the company and to help, help Ford understands that enthusiasts help sell cars. And as you know, because you're in this communications business, a third-party endorsement means way more than an advertisement. Mm -hmm. So if if you get someone who happens to be your neighbor and he speaks up the brand, um, it's worth more than buying an ad somewhere. So we believe that if we can, we have this army of loyalists, and if we can... Um, you know, activate this army of loyalists. They'll sell more cars than all of our advertising and social media put together. So that's why Ford has an enthusiast communications manager, and that's why I spend my middle of the week putting together FordPerformance.com, the entire enthusiast section, telling their story. And then on weekends, I go to places like the Ford Nationals at Carlisle. Well, not now with COVID-19, but um, that that's uh, on weekends I was at events all year long. So. Sure. That's why we do this, and I can't wait till we can go back to meeting people face to face because it's a it's a big void in our lives right now. Of course. Well, that's actually a really good segue for uh, made me think of something. How? Um, what? Just so the people that have been to Carlisle, Ford Nationals in Carlisle, uh, how much goes into all the week's preparation and getting ready to get to Central Pennsylvania? Well, I mean, for us. Um, the reason why I put such an importance on Carlisle Ford Nationals is because um, I can go to uh, a club show in any major city across the United States. There are over 300-some-odd Mustang clubs there in every metro area. And we'll go to their big show, a couple hundred cars at a dealership on a Sunday and meet a couple hundred people, maybe even a, few, a thousand people. But 
Carlisle is the Super Bowl for okay. club life, and uh, so when you, when I can go to one event and meet a hundred clubs, rather than go to one event and meet two or three clubs, sure. and they're whether fifty thousand people rather than five thousand, mm-hmm. the the bang for the buck at going for Carlisle is it's unmatched. So. For me, that's why when you know I went to that first one and I came with an SVT. I was with SVT at the time. I was just setting up an SVT tent, a ten by ten with a lightning and some posters and a, and a 351 Cobra R. But now Ford brings its big trailer. They have our Ford Performance uh, Info Center, the entire display. We do. We have Ford Garage there. I mean, people from all over the hobby. The, the dealerships bring cars for test rides. I mean, we do seminars. We bring back the legacy of the company with names from the past from every great Ford, whether it be Thunderbird or Maverick or, mm-hmm. or Torino. Mm-hmm. And and that whole celebration of the brand. And, you know, for me, I get to see where else can I can I see a a great 1960 Falcon and a you know a, a, the Starsky and Hutch cars. And you know, I know people say, yeah, Carlisle's starting to be like almost half Mustangs. Because it's still being made, but I love seeing all the classic Fords too. Because, mm-hmm. like I said, every one of these Fords has a following, and to meet these clubs and to see how they've survived—you know, the Thunderbird guys who predated Mustang—and how did they, when the car went out of market, how did they keep going? On the club life is so important when you have a classic car because they're the ones that teach you how to care for it and how to how to own it, and that's why. For me, those days are worth, sorry, son, I know it's your high school graduation, <laughs> but I said to him, hey, who who doesn't graduate high school? That's right. Take some pictures. <laughs> now, if you're graduating college, you know, so my second son, when he said, Dad, you're going to go to mine, right? I said, well, I didn't go to your brother's, so I can't really go to yours. That would be unfair. <laughs> oh, I'm going to Carlisle Ford Nationals. <laughs> so, so that's why I haven't missed a single one, and, and that's why I'm glad. I know we've got rescheduled dates this year. I just hope it can happen because, yeah. you know, it's just it's such an integral part of the enthusiast community, especially the Ford enthusiast community. So it's like, you know, for a hockey guy taking away the Stanley Cup, it's mm-hmm. just, you can't do that. So no. I'm, I'm, I'm counting on things getting better, and I hope it happens that way, Darren. I hear you, and I, I'm, I'm hoping for all the same things. You said something there that really made me think of it, too. I think it's great um, talking about there being a lot of Mustangs, but what about the you know, the 19, 20-year-old uh, kid who has a, a Fox Buddy Mustang who can then go up and maybe talk to the original owner of a Galaxy? I mean, to me, that I think that's what's really cool is the fact that you have enthusiasts from 5, 6, 7, 8 years old talking to people who are 88 years old, and it, it really opens up the whole gamut. Well, you know, I've been writing a column in the Mustang Club of America is amazing called Mustang Times. I've, I've been doing, I think I passed my 150th column. And one of the things I wrote about was how the, if we're going to pass the torch to the next generation of enthusiasts, yeah, I've read everything there and I said, oh, young people don't like cars. They're on social media. They don't, uh, they, they can't afford them. Uh, they don't want them. They, you know, they're just a, they're just an appliance to get them from point A to point B. And I said, you know what? That may be true for some part of the young population who wasn't you know, born and raised on automobiles, but I can tell you this, there's a ton of young people who have the same passion for cars as we do. Mm-hmm. And how that torch is going to get passed down 
isn't from a Facebook page. Uh, when the young people come to a car show and they see the passion, they see an older gentleman who has a car just like the one they want, and they get to talk to this guy. Like you said, the walls come down there, mm-hmm. and they, they, they can speak to a guy that they normally wouldn't talk to in line at, the, at Walmart, mm-hmm. but they'll talk to him at the car show because, hey, this is your car. You know, I would think a guy your age would have a 65 Mustang, but you have a Fox body? Mm-hmm. Well, I like this about it. Yeah, well, me too. Mm-hmm. How did you get those five log wheels on that, you know, for a four-eyed fox? And those conversations start that way. And yeah. when they're, when the knowledge is passed back and forth, that's how the torch is going to get passed back and forth. And I, and I, I knew a kid who, uh, who got to be really big on YouTube, uh, became kind of a sensation. There's over a couple million followers. And he was uh, kind of depressed. He was um, bullied in school. And he actually was, had thoughts of suicide. A really sad story how he just hated everything and wanted to withdraw from society and then he went to a car show and he started talking to people and you know what he said at the car show the owners and the car owners just they none of all the other things that were important in school how you looked what you wore it was the cars and they shared he felt so at home talking to people at the car show that he started a car blog he became very famous and like I said, now he has a huge YouTube following. He's uh, he's in demand, and he just said the car hobby got me out of my doldrums and got me into um, understanding that there's way more to life than your own personal experience in school or you know whatever whatever you're facing in life. Sure. Sometimes going out to the garage, Darren, and, and especially these times, and. You know, hopping in the car when you're when you're legally allowed to go driving, sure, um, are, is just a mind clearing, a two lane twisty highway with the, your the top down on your Mustang convertible and the pipes singing. Yeah, uh, just it, it's therapeutic. And what cars can do for your personal freedom, how they make you feel when you can go anywhere you want, um, when you want to go, how you want to go. It's right. something so purely American mm-hmm. and so purely great. The hobby is just feeds into that 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 feeling of freedom and empowerment that I think is good and that's why it's so important for young people to get attached and that's why I push it you know I, I used to have content uh, something called the fan spot where you send me a picture of your car and tell me about it, it was 99% boomer well after doing interactive content where kids can send in their opinions and we write them and we put them online now my fan spotlight I've got a lot of guys in their 20s and 30s sending in pictures of their car and, and a lot of gals who say hey don't think it's just a male dominated sport I love my Mustang or I love my Galaxy convertible people you'd never expect to own classic cars because their dad got them into a project or whatever they're, they're fantastic stories and what a job it is to try to tell these great stories to the rest of the world and talk about the, the world which we live in which is the automotive enthusiast I hope it never, ever ends. Wow. I, I am just so enthused by and encouraged by what you're saying. I mean, I, I totally get it. I totally understand. And I um, I really, to people that aren't, well, everyone listening to this show can say with pretty much assurance as a, as a car fan, but I know, just to your point about the young gentleman that's become a, you know, a sensation and what have you, going out and uh, waxing 
and polishing that that 68 of mine most every nice weekend was sort of my way <laughs> to combat just the teenage angst and all the this girlfriend dumps me and this uh, you know uh, not getting a chance to play that weekend for football or whatever, whatever was bothering me and I thought was a world issue at the time uh, just the cathartic nature of either driving with the windows down or uh, just doing some detailing get your mind just to kind of open up and you get into your own heads and release things and there is something very special about spending time with your vehicle you're so right you know and i don't know if you knew this but uh, just recently we lost the original designer of the ford mustang gail haldeman he happened over the last decade i have to become very close with him mm. and a good friend and he once said something to me about how he designed cars and you know the mustang if you look at the 65 mustang today and your car especially those cars still are beautiful they look sure. cool you know sure. and i feel bad for somebody who's got some kind of import econo box that looks like a, 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 refri- a dorm fridge uh you know because not only will they never have a girlfriend in that thing, but uh, which is really sad and then for the rest of their lives they'll stay up until three o'clock in the morning with cheeto fingers playing video games I, but to get outside gail told gail told me when you wash your car he said how he knows he's made a good design wash your car by hand and feel the curves in the car the way the, wow. the design and how the the, the body is shaped and when you really take your time to wash and wax your car mm-hmm. and you start to appreciate it as a piece of art it's, mm-hmm. it's designed as a piece not to you know he said he's glad he's not a designer in today's world because you know all the suvs are jelly beans and all you can really design are the headlights and the taillights they all look alike yes. but your car darren it's got a unique it's it's so stylish and today it still looks beautiful and i can't say that say about i don't know pontiac aztec or something i I, you know i mean some cars don't age well but your car yeah that car is gonna why is it still used in commercials in 2020 and if the car is over a half a century old because it's beautiful and that's why really for you congratulations i i have a couple i used to have i think i've had one of every except for the current gen mustang i've owned one of every gen wow, nice. and i eventually got sick of taking a 66 convertible to a car show because i would pull up next to somebody who's got a 66 convertible with every single nut and bolt anodized and it's perfect yeah. and mine probably weighed 700 more pounds than it did from the factory just because of the bondo <laughs> Well, I think I think it's also called ballast. I mean, you could. You could. <laughs> well, whatever you call it, it was never gonna. It was never gonna win anything because right, right. the only thing I mean, you could. There was no magnet in the world that would stick to that. Right, thing. right. And right. all I knew, and all I knew was I was never. I'm never gonna compete with some of these guys who put so much time, money, and effort in their car yeah. uh, that I can't. I just. So I, why do I keep? Why do I keep entering? I keep coming to see the cars and, and love them right. and lust after them. Sure. But I eventually got to the point where I learned something. My first new Mustang when I got tired of blowing up pinos and bought a Mustang 2, Cobra 2, uh, with a 5-liter in it and a 4-speed and you know, oh, that only had 140 horsepower. Yeah, well, the, the 350's Z28 had 180. And guess what? We made peak torque at 1600 rpm and if you know anything about drag racing it's not about horsepower it's about torque yes it is so that car was as competitive as anything else in the area by the way they sold almost 400,000 our first year so don't tell me about you know 
urban legend. Tell me about reality. And I lived that era, <laughs> and I can tell you that, that that was a lot of fun. The car was, you know, it's all power to weight. It was light and small. Sure. As far as I remember, a 5.0 is a 5.0. If you have a Ford racing catalog, you can make a 5.0 drive on two wheels if you want mm -hmm. so to me personally i said you know what jenny i told my wife let's just buy let's go back and get a mustang too and take it to the car show because there's only none or one of them there and i'll win the class every time so i've had a king cobra uh for about 15 years now i've got a 77 cobra too i'm working on a 78 and uh i love to take second gen mustangs to car shows to to fill in that piece of history that people call the malaise era mm -hmm. but i call a very key part of Mustang's success story and appreciate those cars for the, the value they brought to ford and what they meant and that's what i when i enter a show now for me to go and have fun yeah i put so i put a roller motor in it and it put a shift kit in the seat for you you don't it makes the outside look like stock mm -hmm. but the inside is a little different but for me there was something about when the s197 came out darren that that really harkened back to Gail Haldeman's original design. And so we recently decided, you know what, driving these gold cars are great, but, you know, every once in a while, the Duraspark decided it doesn't want to go anymore. And, you know, they're, they're old cars, and you don't want to drive them long distances. They didn't have air. So we popped for a, a highly modified 2006 Mustang GT convertible red with black stripes and it's got you know, the cams in it it's it's it, it's just it's just what i want when i want to put the top down and just get away from things sure, right so yeah i've got the, i've got the newer mustang it's not the it's not a don't go wrong i'd love an s550 but that car there's something about s197s the the old five through especially through oh nine before they started changing a little bit i just that car just reminded me so much of the class. Mustang became such a classic shape, kind of like a Porsche 911. Sure. There's certain shape we use. You don't have to have a badge on. What was that? That's a Porsche. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, when that car went by, that's a Mustang. You yes. just know it's, it's like a Coke bottle. Yeah. It can only be one thing, and it's a Mustang. So that's why I have the two, the 77 and the 78, and why I have an 06 because all the other ones were just competing with. Some some of these guys doing put are putting six figures into a Mustang. I, I can't I can't believe it. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 That's. I, I, I'm glad to hear you kind of talk a little bit about your personal. You know, well, I guess pun intended corral for your Mustangs, but <laughs> but you know, your your personal corral and the fact that you've got some great choices there. Well, and you know, like I said, they're they're all good. I, there wouldn't be. There's, no such thing a Mustang that I would turn down. I just, I just I like them all. And, you know, not everybody had a Shelby and a Boss or, a, a, you know, everything. not everything was a GT. So a lot more six-owners than you did anything else. The 256 was a great car, you know, and, and there were reasons for that. I mean, you've got to have the bread and butter car to make the other ones, you know, the, the one that you want when you finally collect them. But I have to tell you that the... the Getting into the hobby with the base car is my son. For example, when he got his first Mustang, he happens to like SN95. So he just loves the fourth generation Mustang. Mm -hmm. Now he wanted a GT. You know, he wanted the V8. He wanted a fastback V8. But guess what? The insurance cost for him when he was just turned 20, he may have had a speeding ticket or two, but the insurance cost was more than the car payment. Wow. So he decided. You know what he was going to do? He bought himself an old four six cylinder. And now he's modded it. He put Mach 1 wheels on it. He put dual exhaust on the 6. 
he changed the hood out, you know, he two-toned it. He, uh, but, but, you know, he still likes the sex. And he said, you know, do I want more power? Sure, but that'll come with my next Mustang. But they, he's put so many miles on that, that SN95 and had for so many years mm-hmm. that he said, I do, I, Dad, I don't think I can sell it because yeah. I'll always, that's my first Mustang. Right. And if, even if I get a GT or a Shelby, whatever he eventually winds up getting, he said, there's something about your first car. Uh, it's like your first date. Yeah. Unless it was set up by your mom. <laughs> And what you want Because when your mom said, uh, we were going to go out with so-and-so, and you said, well, what does she look like? And when your mom said, well, she's got a nice personality, yeah, yeah, she's... that's when you have to, that's when you say you got a temperature and you go lay down. That's you know, right. Yeah. Put your tongue on. <laughs> so, but your first Mustang is never like that, even if it has a six-cylinder right. or a Mustang two-scase of four. Right, right, right. <laughs> Well, but they all have great personality. No, they <laughs> don't really. They? <laughs> they really do. Uh, well, I know that. It's like it's like a guy who the guy who puts you know. Hey, I, I'm not a I'm 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 a purist, but not to the point where I pass judgment on other people. Mm-hmm. So if you happen to have a six owner Mustang and you got snakes on the side, SS Cobra, which we call in the industry Fobras. <laughs> so if you have a fake Cobra, that's okay because that's you're it. just wishing you had. Right. I get it. You know what I mean? I'm not. You know, oh, that Ford guy is going to come down on you at the car show. No, I, I get it. So when I go give a Ford Performance Choice Award at the car show, <laughs> I don't give it to the guy with the $200,000 Mustang that he paid Dave Kindig to go do. I, you know, uh, that's that's not the hobby to me. I, I saw a 16-year-old at a car show recently who had a S95 that he rattle can flat black. And I mean, I've seen I've seen wow. matte black cars before, but he rattle can this, and he didn't get some good rattle cans. You know, it wasn't what I would call even. But you know what? He came up to me at my I had him at ten. I was giving away Mustang posters, and he said, "Oh, you got to see my car. I did this all myself. The car was in a wreck, and you know, I I got it for hardly anything. I spent the last two years when I got my license. So I walked over and looked at it. Well, clearly he was he's not a painter, and he's not a body man either, because the fender gaps were not. You know, but but guess what? This kid. He's, he's a kid, shows up at a car show where there are Mustangs that could win MCA gold, and he has, he's just proud of it. So I give him the Ford Performance Award. Wow. He walked off with that because that's the future. And for me to see these people bring their whatever it is, you know, no, well, where do you want me to park this? Instead of the club saying, well, you go park that by the dumpster. <laughs> right, right. Right. They they let the kid in. He parked. He, he spent the day with guys like you said, who may be earning six figure salaries and have cars worth all of that. And he became them for that afternoon. Oh, and that's the joy of being in our hobby, Darren. Amen. And I'll tell you that that young man probably uh, will will look at and polish that reward every day for the next twenty five years. And because of that. You have a loyal fan, and you have somebody that's going to be committed to the brand and to the uh, just to to Mustang and to Ford. You can't. I mean, you can't buy your way into that. Well, the, the shock to them is that Ford's even there, because you know, uh, I, and I make fun of the other brands. I say, oh, is, the, is this import brand? What are the where are the appliances? Uh, and then they make. Don't don't get me wrong. There are a lot of good appliances out there. Those cars to last a long time to get you from point A to point B, uh, and people love them. That's great. But for me, uh, there's a lot more to a car than an appliance, being an appliance. And I said, so where do the appliances go for a car? Should they hang out in front of Home Depot where the rest of the whirlpools are? Do they, you know, so for me, 
I, having an appliance is, it means nothing. But this kid, he, he loves his car because he likes the way it looks. You know, I, right. I, I, I just had to do something. And that's why I think it was important for, they said, like, Ford is at this car show? Mm. Why did you come all the way from right. Dearborn right. in a transit van and set up a tent for 200 people? Because if I don't, where is this kid ever going to meet Ford? That's true. How, he doesn't go, you know, he can't afford to go to the Carlisle Nationals. He doesn't go to the MCA Grand National Shows. He doesn't go to Barrett-Jackson. Right. So if I don't get off my duff, get out of the, go and go to these little car shows, they may be 100 or 200 cars, and set up the tent and meet people and speak at their club meetings. If I don't do that, where will they cross? Or a young person ever say, wow, Ford thought enough about my ownership of their vehicle mm -hmm. that they showed up here. Mm -hmm. That's why I do it. And I thank goodness I have a management that understands that because most car companies don't do it. And they could very easily just say, buy our appliance and a vending machine. And, you know, and, you know some of the EV companies out west, they, they don't even have a dealer network. So if something goes wrong, well, we'll send a guy out three weeks you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know have, uh, the experience to me it's all about the experience of ownership and like i said i wrecked them blown them up i've been towed home from detroit dragways there isn't even a detroit dragway anymore and i've been towed home on a 15-foot chain where when i got home my front loaders were glowing red because when a 15-foot chain is not close not far enough away from the guy <laughs> right, right. right you're kind of riding that so, pedal yeah, so for me, if you haven't busted your knuckles on putting in a set of headers right. or spent a whole afternoon buffing out your car, with your, if you haven't done any of those things right. and your car is your ashtray or your, if you can see a McDonald's bag from the old logo still in the back seat of your Camry, whatever it is, that you're not the person I need to talk to. That's fine. You could be that person. But for the rest of us who just love these rolling works of art, right. collect them because they completely change the world and, you know, and being from Ford, we didn't just, you know, the Model T didn't, wasn't just, we, we put not just America on wheels, but the world on wheels. It changed our lives. Mm -hmm. You know, back in the day, Dan, think about if you were around 100 years ago, you grew up on the farm, you took your horse into town, you sold your apples, you had to meet somebody at the square dance that night, and that's who you married, and you got buried behind your church within three miles of your house. Right. But now you can go to Carlisle, Pennsylvania every summer, drive eight hours to get there, spend four days there, and drive back home, even if you're towing your car or whatever you're doing, and set up a tent for foreign, whatever you do, and celebrate with 50, 60,000 other people. Yeah. And it's a whole different world. The world opens up when you can cross. I mean, the, a mobile, active society is the key to freedom. And, and just to be able to go to the national, meet everybody, to find old friends and make new friends, there's really nothing like it. I mean, it's it's better than, you know, they talk about social media. They talk about being on Facebook. Hey, I'm, you know, you ever watch 90 Day Fiance? Mm -hmm. What you see online isn't what you really meet in real person. And that's why going to a show like Carlisle mm -hmm. and, and experiencing that whole hobby in person cannot be replicated. No, it can't. And I am so uh, glad to be a marketing uh, a media affiliate to the folks at Carlisle Events, and, and they put a lot of effort into it, and certainly, a really, uh, like you said, Ford, they, they pull out all the stops and make the trip in, and I've been up in the 
I mean, I, I cover it every year uh, for the podcast last two years, and then on my own for the previous years. I mean, I've been going to Carlisle shows since I was about eight years old, and I can see it. Every every show has its own personality, but uh, it's it's great just to sit up in those stands uh, and overlook the uh, you know, the autocross track and just to hear people talk about their stories and you'll see it's you know how it is you see three sometimes four generations together yeah enjoying something together and, and you just you think wow this is an experience that this young person will look back on their great-grandfather or grandfather and probably remember being at carlisle all those summers yep oh absolutely and the stuff you see you never yeah you do see people there every year that you know but you always see something there's always something new and exciting. i remember when uh, we went well, we went up to focus rising and we went and looked at some of the fiestas this young guy i think he was 19 he just got a job in a welding shop he, he turned his mom's fiesta into this wide body race car that would make ken block drool over it it was just so cool fluorescent orange wheels and white and black this paint was cool i go you did this wow i mean I, and, then, and then I walked down the, the Lincolns of Distinction Isle, and I saw a town car that was it looks like it was just purchased out of the dealership in 1974, and it uh, tied to the front bumper and thrown in front of it, about four feet out, was a giant anchor. <laughs> and it was like, uh, was, and I go, and this this 80 year old gentleman who owned it, he, I go, is this your he says, boat? Yes, that's my boat. <laughs> I, so every year you meet. You know, that's a great idea. And I said, how do you? How many people do you need to pick the anchor up? It's like it's from a Great Lakes steamer or something. Oh my word! He goes, boat. And he says, well, it's got a big trunk. So I mean, um, you gotta. People just love what they love, Darren. Right. right. And. And to see it, and to, you got to talk to them, and you got to hear there's every, you know, I, I used to say when I got to Ford, that, you know, it, it, I don't care who you are, I don't care if you like Fords or hate them, uh, everybody's got a Mustang story. Yeah. Okay. Because you, it could have been your uncle, somebody down the street, the kid in high school, your sister's boyfriend, who, it doesn't matter, everybody's got one. And yeah, yeah Carlisle, the last, 10 years especially, has been their Mustang footprint's been growing and growing. But if that's what it takes to get young people into the lot because Ford still makes that brand, that's all fine and good as long as we still get to have, you know, the corral, the, the sales, to see the old Mavericks being sold or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, or an old F-100 pickup or just to see the, you know, what 116 years of building cars looks like. Right, um, it's heritage that really draws me, attracts me. I like genuine brands that have been around. And I like it because I, I dare you to go tell me someone who really still is in love with their pet rock. <laughs> That's right. Of which I had one. With a little box yeah, okay. and a straw. Yeah. yeah. And who, who thought Cabbage Patch kids were good looking? <laughs> Really? <laughs> but for 116 years, Ford Motor Company has built cars that, for some reason, I don't know if it's design or the way they drive, or they, they just connect with people in a way. You know, the Model Ts and the Model As, they had their own following. And T-Birds, you know, you didn't have to be 
you know, Suzanne Summers to like a Thunderbird, but oh, yeah, there's just something about the, yeah, <laughs> there's just something about these cars and, and about the brand that is attractive. And that's why being the guy who gets to be the enthusiast communications guy is like an honor. And I, oh, sure. I don't treat it lightly. So every week when I do content for FordPerformance.com, I don't, I'm not on the front pages of that website. I'm on the enthusiast section and I better talk to talk and walk to walk because mm-hmm. just like you and I, if we walked into a bar and we hear some guy blabbing for five minutes about cars, you're going to tell him within 30 seconds whether he's a true enthusiast or he's just mm-hmm. full of you know what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so that's the challenge is to make stuff that is fun and, and encouraging and it celebrates the heritage but looks to the future and at the same time, uh, that and then on the weekend, go, and, you know, right around now my content would be 60, 70% events. So when there's no events, what do you write about? Well, you write about all the great things that made us good. You know, what happened to the San Jose assembly plant? Can you imagine if we didn't have San Jose in 1965, we would have never been able to build a million Mustangs in 18 Right, sure. Dearborn was, yeah, Dearborn was going 24-7, three shifts. So, I mean, the, the, the great places, the people who, the middle class was born on the $5 day wage and who, who got into the auto industries and the factories to, to build the middle class, give people a, a career and send their kids to college and a great company and a part of a, you know, Henry Ford was kind of a, you know, a guy working on a quadricycle in his own garage mm-hmm. and just talk about you, the true entrepreneur spirit of the company to, you know, race, you're not far from where, where I'm sitting right now on the east side of Detroit, Henry Ford put everything on the line and raced Alexander Winton in Gross Point to try to raise capital in 1903 to, to fund Ford Motor, the founding of his company. Now, the Winton was a much better car. It was out for years. It was the top of the line. But for some reason, Ford's car beat him. And he raced that day with, with a, one thing in mind, just to show the world that he can build a great car. He never raced again because the car, the race scared the hell out of Henry Ford. He thought he was going to fall off the thing. But he got enough money to found the company. And from that day forward, you know, there's been this kind of spirit of, hey, look, we got to do what you got to do to to follow your passion. And, you know, he did it. That's why I'm talking to, you know, Carlisle and, and the people there and going to events and being part of the hobby is just just a further extension of what happened 116 years ago. Yeah, that's really an excellent way to say it. And it, it takes that kind of moxie uh, in order to make things happen. And he, he, yeah. he proved it. Yeah, I mean, you know, $5 day wage when everybody was in the world say, are you crazy you're going to go bankrupt? Well, it's tough working an auto plant. And, you know, going down to, you know, working five days and having two days off and giving people a working wage. Why? So they could buy a car. That's why. Mm-hmm. Because if you export all of your wealth overseas, um, well, who's going to buy the car? Oh, somebody over there. But what about the people here? Mm-hmm. You, you, people have to earn enough money to afford the things you want. So that's why he made, you know, the Model T back then to make it a $500 car. Is, you wanted a simple machine that was durable, that everybody, every man can afford. Everybody should enjoy the freedom and mobility of their own automobile. And he, mm-hmm. to do that was a, that's a Herculean task. And, you know, and it, keep pacing the changes with the Model A and you know, and then all the cars that came down the pike ever since then to be competitive and then the whole story behind the Mustang, incredible story of they didn't want it, Epsil had just gone away in 1960 and the last thing Ford wanted was another new car idea, no thank you, it's 
were losing millions on that new car that was going to change the world with the Edsel. And yet, the persistence of the people behind that program got Mustang built. Yeah. And I uh, think about it today, where would Ford be without a brand like the Mustang well, or, or like the F-150? Yeah. And I, I, for those that uh, are learning more about you, John, I mean, it's certainly just, uh, you know, the Mustang dynasty and the things, the projects you've been involved in. I mean, it's, uh, you know, marketing the Mustang, the American icon and those types of things. I mean, it's really making, uh, putting that out there to the masses so they can f- truly understand. Well, Darren, Darren, listen, I, I told my wife I only have about 100 Mustang books, but I had another 100 at the office at work. So I didn't tell her. Uh, but why do I buy all these Mustang books? And after the, the first 50 or 60, they all kind of read the same. Okay. And they repeat the, so, so I want, I'm a student of this brand because if you say, oh, you've been around a long time, you know everything, you should quit. Because if you stop learning about something, you might as well just go into retirement, sit on the front chair yeah. and you're at your front lawn and say, get off of my lawn. Be that guy. <laughs> all right. All right, so for me, I wrote that first book. I don't need a Mustang book, and I don't need to write a book because I'm busy writing every day. I read every day, and I don't want to read books because I'm so tired of reading copy that when I get out of work, I don't want to read the the signs on the way home. I'm tired of it. But I wrote that book because all these books that I have are great guys and good friends of mine, and they're great journalists, but none of them ever worked at Ford. And when I got the chance to work here and talk to the retirees and find out some of the history that wasn't spoken, I felt very moved that it was my job to tell more of the story because, you know, history is only the... there's whoever wrote it. It's that perspective. It's the winner who writes the history. Yeah. And the guy that gets pushed aside, his story doesn't get told. And just like we talked about young people who are not, you know, who need to be recognized for their contribution to the hobby, even if they only have a base car and they did it themselves. The, the, to me, it was important to tell some of the stories behind Mustang that hadn't been told. You know, was it really, did they really lie to Henry II about the data that proved the original Mustang? would sell mm-hmm. you know it's not true that the mustang 2 was a pinto it's just not true mm-hmm. it's not i mean it's not it's a fact that that's not what happened and did they really were they really going to kill the mustang and make it a front wheel drive japanese car called the mustang when was that really what how we got the ford probe mm-hmm. how do these things happen how do they you know all those stories i mean they need to be told because the, it's the backstory that makes it more interesting just like you and i would go to the bar and we may have seen a car together at carlisle that we really liked and the guy who owned it is sitting next to you the best thing is is hearing how that came to be and that that's worth having a you know that's when you want the endless appetizer place <laughs> right right exactly <laughs> Because you were supposed to get something to eat and get back to the hotel room at 8, and it's 11 o'clock. Right. Don't you hate when that happens? It does. It does. It definitely does. <laughs> okay. All right. So you know I've been there. Oh, of course you have. Of course you have. Yeah. Well, what... Um, you know, can, you imagine, can you imagine that our life without that? It's just not the same. No, that dynamic is so important. Well, what... Uh, as we kind of get to the end of this, what are some of the things that are happening in the Ford brand, exciting things that you can share? I know obviously there are things you can't, but are, are there things that you can sort of uh, uh, whet the appetite of the Blue Oval fans? Oh, absolutely. I mean, everybody knows, um, you know, Ford announced it's coming out with some of the greatest brands and their brands. You'll see it. 
Carlisle, like the Ford Broncos coming back. Yes. Um, everyone's really nervous. Uh, what could what it could it be? What is it going to look like? Sometimes a modern iteration of an old brand is not what the answer for a lot of people is, and that can be best summed up by people who brought the GTO back as a uh, a Holden mm-hmm. sedan. Mm-hmm. And so, so for people who have certain brands in their minds. So the Bronco is coming out. It's delayed with COVID, yeah, but it's near the end of the year. We're going to have more information about the new, brand new Mustang performance model that's coming out. We already talked about the Mustang family being expanded into a, a all-electric SUV called the Mach-E, mm-hmm. which for purists had them standing at the side of the cliff ready to jump. But for some people thought, well, man, it, it just proves that Ford can see into uh, a different realm and get out of, you know, it's, for those who think Detroit is old Detroit and then the Rust Belt, that car is going to change a lot of hearts and minds. So I know, there's so much reading. happening. Yeah, I've done a lot of reading on the Mach-E, and it's a uh, it's pretty extraordinary vehicle. Well, you know, every single, not every attempt is, is a home run, but here's what I know. If you don't take the bat off your shoulders yes. and you just wait for four pitches to be outside and you get a walk onto first base, that's one thing how to get to first base. But if you get that bat off your shoulders and you swing for the fences, that is the only way mm-hmm. you're going to hit a home run yeah. is swing for it. And give Ford credit for, for swinging for it and taking you know the, the, the darling of the EV world, Tesla Hans, full tilt mm-hmm. and, and go after them. And that's what the company is about. So I have off to them for doing that as a pure it's difficult for Mustang people to see that, but the company has got, I mean, all kinds of initiatives that it wants to move forward. And my own initiatives, uh, you know, Ford Performance having a Club Connect program where you can go online right now, go to Ford Performance Club Connect and register your Facebook page. Yeah. And just or, or register your club so that you can connect with all the other people who who share this joy with you. you. People that you may not even know exist and they may be just on the block. And the Club Connect them will support you using the marketing and promotional might of Ford Motor Company to promote your club, to help your club out. It's a really cool program how we can connect with people because that's going to be the future. The brands that connect with people on a different level, not just, you know, here's my money, drive off and then you could next week trade it for something else that's just even less uh, influential not Ford so uh, I'm excited about the future I'm nervous about the future but at the same time being a student of this brand it's really cool that we get to talk about something that's been around this long and something that really wants to be around another 116 years and we're hoping this conversation has had you know maybe it'll be on another planet I don't know but it's still cool that you and I can talk about your cool car, my cool cars, and this is an absolute wonderful story that we know as Ford Motor Company. Here, here. And that's, I think, a great way uh, to kind of sum it all up. And I want to give you the final turn behind the wheel. Anything that you'd like to close this interview with, John? And I really appreciate you giving me big time of your, your afternoon and evening. Well, listen, I, I, the, the next step is going to be a, my, attending my own uh, club meeting on Zoom. So uh, I would just recommend to someone who maybe is uh, a little bit uh, intimidated by the hobby, just go to a car show. Most of them, Mustang shows are, uh, when you see a club show on a Sunday afternoon, piled into a parking lot, stop in. The people are awesome. And once you get involved in this, you understand that the passion for this thing that we call the automobile 
whether or not you think someday you'll want your car to drive you to school so you can check your email or not, there's just something about getting behind the wheel of an automobile, you being in full control over where you go and how you go, that's just rooted in the whole idea of American freedom that I hope, I hope everybody, at least once in their lifetime, will have a chance to enjoy. So go for that. And if you decide that you'd rather not, well, enjoy your time on the bus. <laughs> Well, John, thank you very, very much for being part of the show. You got it, Darren. Hope to talk to you again soon. I'll see you at Carlisle. All right. We are back in Carlisle. A huge thank you to John Clore for being a new friend of the Cars of Carlisle Network and an incredible interview. Really looking forward to possible discussions in the future. And personally, as I noted at the top of the show, I am genuinely excited to meet John in person during this year's Carlisle Ford Nationals. Fingers crossed that everything is going to go well with uh, with the pandemic situation and we'll get back to the new normal where we all can enjoy the car shows we know and love. So, John, thank you so much again. Really appreciate it. All right, it's time for the trivia question and answer. And I got to tell you, this one is a little bit, uh, it's kind of in between. The, the question I had asked was, true or false, the Ford Mustang was named for a wild horse. Now, the answer uh, could really be considered both. Could be both true, could be both false. It's a bit of a gray area. So, Bear with me on this. We all know that the Mustang was coined as the pony car by mass, you know, within mass culture, yet the naming history is a bit nebulous, kind of with a, an error of a legend, if you will. So what I did some research and found is allegedly it's been said that designer John Najjar had alluded the Mustang name going back to the highly successful World War II fighter plane, the P-51 Mustang. But as part of that legend, it's been said that the am- the aviation angle wasn't really really warmly received or fully adopted. So Najjar repitched the name from the horse standpoint. But accounts have said that Lee Iacocca himself had framed the story yet in another perspective. And it's been alleged that especially at that time, there had been ex- really a trend in place that uh, Madison Avenue and others would name cars after animals when they would work with OEMs. So... That name, that word again, legend, legend has it that advertising agencies had presented mostly animal names for the would-be Mustang. So, that's a ponderable, and we'll have to stop and ponder on that one. So, before we go, I just want to say thanks in advance for continuing to support the Cars of Carlisle podcast. You can do that by subscribing, sharing, rating, and reviewing. In fact, when you rate us, if you rate us five stars, do me a favor, take a screen capture of that, email it to me here at carsofcarlisle at outlook.com. Just put attention Darren in the subject line. That's all you need to do. When you do that, I'll send you something worth your while. All right, so may you all stay safe until you come back and join us again next week. And for now, I'll part with drive well, be well, take care. <laughs>